0: It's 1964, and in America, our country is a mess of protests, riots, conflict with the Russians, and all of this in the midst of an election that would decide the future of the country. Sound familiar? In October of that year, a Jewish cartoonist published one of the most heavily contested children's books ever written this book has gone on to be critiqued from every conceivable angle. Feminists, environmentalists, clergy folk, and yes, parents like me have all weighed in on the story's iconic tree and its young boy. We're talking, of course, about Shel Silverstein's The Giving Tree. Today on Little Voices, Big Ideas, we'll take a look at several of the themes within that book and discuss why it's a good idea to have complex conversations. I'm Sarah DeBacher, and today we tackle the giving tree as we go beyond the bedtime story. Tell me again
1: how the people tell their stories And who did what and where and when uh uh-huh. mm-hmm.
0: Joining me today again is Helen Taylor, provost at LSU Shreveport. Hello. Also, Thomas Wartenberg, who's taught philosophy through picture books to children.
2: It's great to be here again.
0: And independent scholar and children's book author, Freddie Evans. Hello, I'm
1: happy to be here.
0: Y'all, we're taking the gloves off this week, so who who's raring to go?
3: Well, Sarah, I'm raring to go because this is a book that, um, as you've just said, uh, I've been working with in our primetime uh, family reading series for a long time, and it's one of those great books, sort of like Fanny's Stream last week, where people have very different opinions and they often change those opinions and completely change their minds and go over to the other side in the middle of a discussion. So it's great for the kind of um, discussion of ideas with children and families that we've been talking about. And I wanna pick up on something you said, Uh, the book was published in 1964, just one year earlier in 1963, Betty Friedan had published a very famous book called The Feminine Mystique which was about women's identity, women's cultural roles. Um, It was really the first book in what we call Second Wave Feminism. And it really explored the idea of what makes women happy, because women had been told for centuries that they should find fulfillment in domestic work, in housework and in raising children. So it's odd to think of happiness as being culturally conditioned, but that's really what the book explored. In that context, then, the very first line of the giving tree, once there was a tree and she loved a little boy. So the tree is gendered as feminine. So it sets up Mm -hmm. this maternal domestic relationship and seems to explore in the story the ways that this feminine tree makes sacrifices and accommodates a child who grows to a man. In the story, uh, he gathers her leaves, he plays, uh, he eats her apples, and when he's tired, he would sleep in her shade. And so this uh, relationship, this playful and nurturing relationship goes on through the story until clearly the boy becomes a man. And then the relationship seems to change. It, It alters significantly. He's too big to play with the tree. He wants things. He wants money. Uh, he wants to sell the apples. He then ultimately wants to sail away. He wants to leave the tree and go away altogether, as many children naturally do. And so she invites him to cut her down, to make a boat out of her trunk. I mean, it's such a sacrifice. Uh, and he sails away, and we're told, and the tree was happy, but not really. And then the boy, after a long time, comes back, and he can't eat apples because he's his teeth are weak, poor boy, Um, and so all he can do is sit on her stump, and the tree at the end of the story is happy that she can at least provide an old stump um, for him to sit on, and uh, the tree is happy at the end. So this is what the story is about, and it's troubling in all sorts of ways because I think the book asks us to consider what a parental role should be, and is it ultimately one of self-sacrifice, And then some of the other issues are, you know, is the boy selfish? Does the boy uh, demand too much of the tree? So we have all sorts of themes here, not just about feminism and parental roles, but also about identity and agency. It's such an incredibly rich and wonderful book. And as you say, it has uh, prompted a lot of controversy. Now, Tom Wattenberg, I know that you have spent a lot of time with this book and you're very familiar with these controversies. Do you want to uh, jump in on any one of these themes that I've just raised?
2: Let me back up for a minute. Uh, After each of these episodes, the narrator of the story makes a very brief comment. Normally it's, and the tree was happy. The only time he doesn't say that is the one that Helen mentioned where he adds, but not really. And what I think happens, because it's so simple and repetitive like that, is that as we're reading it, we start thinking, is that really true? Is the tree happy? And so I think in the act of reading, we're already encouraged to begin to wonder if the narrator is reliable or not. You know, in lots of movies and in books, we have unreliable narrators who tell us things that are false. And I think that's actually true in this book, although very few people actually say that they tend to trust the narrator but i think as we're reading it we start thinking that this narrator doesn't know what he's talking about and that the, the this tree cannot possibly be happy as it's giving up its entire being for this bratty old man eventually old bitter man um we as readers don't necessarily buy that and i think the way this book is constructed it gives us an opening to say. The tree is happy, are you kidding me? How could the tree be happy? It's just been reduced to a stump. And I think that's why in part, there's so much interesting controversy about the book. The book invites it. Mm -hmm. And we all are actually very happy to engage in it.
3: And from what you say, Tom, it's almost the book becomes a meditation on what happiness is. I mean, I I made reference to the fact that Betty Friedan talks about happiness as being something that, that we learn. We learn what is supposed to make us happy, so it's culturally conditioned. The tree may or may not be happy. You referred to the boy at the end as an old, bitter man, so he's not happy either. Who's happy in this story? Is anybody (laughs) happy? Freddie Evans, you want to jump in, anything on this?
1: I I agree. There is not a happy ending to this children's book, you know, but there is something that is central and that is love amidst all of this controversy and confusion and back and forth and all of the different stages of life basically. The bottom line is love, but there are different kinds of love. I think is what this book points out. There is tough love, of course, but this is not tough love. This is unconditional love, where this tree gives and gives and gives ultimately gives her life, that is, for the boy. And when we look at the cause and effect, you know, what happened and why do you think it happened, I think when we get down to the bottom line, is because of love. But in this case it's it's a sad love. You know, it's a love that ends up being sort of traumatic in a sense.
0: Y'all, this is this is sounding like such a joyful book to discuss with kids. And I mean, we are here to talk about like why it is that this particular book would be a good one to read with kids. And I'm thinking about um, young Celeste and the opinions that she has. And um, you know, let's listen to her to her take on The Giving Tree.
4: He gets on my nerves, that that boy. <laughs> He's just like, never bothers to check how the tree is feeling, never thanks the tree, says, oh, I want to sail away on this boat to escape everything. And the tree gets so used to him asking for stuff before the boy even asks for anything or, like, says anything. The tree says, I have nothing to give you. You know, like, I've had enough, okay?
0: One of the reasons why I love what Celeste said and, and also thinking from the perspective of a parent of two boys is that she really notices the impact of all of that asking. And I love hearing a child having some of those strong feelings, too, which is, again, why I think it's just so good to have a book like this that really opens itself up to adult and child. So, Freddie,
1: how is it that you bring in the
0: little voices to these big ideas?
1: I want to talk about that, but I also want to mention something before I forget. Tom mentioned uh, about the boy ending up a bitter old man. And I think a point to make there is that he gathered all of the things from the tree. He gained all of these things from the tree, but still ended up not happy. So did those things make him happy? You know, I think that's another point of how do we get happiness? How do we obtain it? Does it come from things? I also wanted to talk a little bit or revisit Helen's point about role gender role and feminism. And uh, it really made me think about what Helen said when Celeste pointed out the boy. She said, I'm just sick of this boy. I'm tired of this boy. How would this story have worked if the boy had been a girl? How would the girl have treated the tree? Would the girl have taken all of these things? And would this have only worked and been so controversial uh, with the boy character and not a girl character? Would he have been the same had he become a bitter old woman?
0: Um, I think that that particular approach, Freddie, that you're suggesting could be a great opening for having a discussion about gender. And why is it that the author chooses to gender the tree as a she?
3: Right, because, I mean, jumping off what you said, Freddie, similarly, if the tree had been gendered male, then we might be thinking of the tree as weak because we we think of mothers, and come back to the parent thing again, we think of mothers as it's appropriate for mothers to give and give and give, to give away. That, that seems to be their role, but not so fathers. Fathers are externally, traditionally externally facing, whereas mothers are internally facing, if you see what I mean. So if the tree were male, similarly, we'd have a different perspective on it. So it's very these are very good questions to ask children, um, changing something in the story to see how our responses are different.
0: Well, and let, maybe let's listen to what, because um, Beth poses that question that you mentioned, Helen, which I think is a, it's a really interesting one to pose to children, and, and let's, let's listen to that exchange. So, Celeste, thinking about the giving tree, do you think the tree is strong or weak? I mean, in
4: what sense? You tell me. In what sense is the tree strong? Physically. And kind of emotionally, like... I feel like the tree kind of believes in her point strongly. She wants to be a good person. She wants to help people. And she's not going to stop because this boy is rude. She's going to do it because it's the right thing, not because she wants to be friends with this boy. Or, like, if people upset her, she's not going to, like, stop or get mad or anything. She's just going to keep going and being nice. But when she doesn't want to give any more, she will put her foot down. Or her root down.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I know that that conversation went on, too, and, and that Beth, Celeste's mother, had a bit of a revelation about that I really related to because I've been thinking a lot about this idea of emotional labor, right? And so often... The giving and giving and giving of the giving tree is regarded as like an overstepping, like there's no boundaries here. But Beth comes to this realization that, well, but if the tree really enjoys giving and if if someone really wants to give, if this is motivated genuinely by a sense of love, then who are we to say that it's emotional labor? Is it emotional labor if in fact it's coming from love?
1: I also talked about the concept of giving and expanded to different areas one meaning i expanded to real trees we know that the boy and the tree were fictitious characters but in real life i talk about um or ask the participants with whom i'm discussing this do we get anything from real trees and what and how do we get it and what value do those things hold in our lives and in society and I also extend it to people are there people like the tree who will sacrifice That tree sacrificed her life for the boy. And in real life, are there people like that? During this time of pandemic, we uh, think of essential workers and many of them have sacrificed their lives to help others in need, like doctors and firemen and policemen, nurses, bus drivers even. Maybe they sacrificed their lives for their jobs, but in essence, they were helping people. Usually when this discussion is going, someone would will inevitably come up with Dr. Martin Luther King who sacrificed his life for the cause of the civil rights movement. And if there were others. He was not the only one, but he's probably the most popular one, the one that we think about the most. So I like to extend it to real situations.
3: You know, the other thing that I keep thinking about we haven't discussed is the theme of loss. You know, there are so many uh, children's books and, and stories about children which deal with this theme of loss growing up is a is a loss you know it's a loss for the parent because they've lost the child but it's also for adults it's a loss of innocence which is a a huge theme in literature but i i kept thinking about toy story you know and woody being in the toy box and it's sad or or winnie the pooh you know left behind by christopher robin these are all male uh, characters i'm i'm realizing mm-hmm. and even in my youth, Puff the Magic Dragon, which has been used for various other themes, but was about a dragon who was left by the little boy that he used to play with. So, the, this theme of 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 loss—it's a sad story, and it, and it seems to me at the ending, both the tree and the boy have lost something.
0: Hmm. What I remember about reading this book, and I think Tom, you mentioned the spare quality of the text and also the illustrations themselves. I mean, it is kind of somber, right? Very spare. There's beauty in that, I think, as well. But I was watching my six-year-old look through this book after we'd read it together, and you know, he wanted to look at it more closely. And he really took his time. I mean, you could see that something was really sticking with him. But you could kind of tell that he was picking up on, on some of that loss. It's been important to have safe vessels for discussing loss right now, perhaps more than ever, because there's just so much of it. You know, our kids are hearing about it unless we're, uh, I don't know, putting earmuffs on them so they can't hear the news or can't hear us talking or can't hear us having feelings. But I'm glad that you brought that up because I think that often we think with children's books that they should just be sort of entertainment or, again, something to put the kids to sleep with. But what an opportunity to notice the reactions of each other and to say, how does this make you feel?
3: Picking up on that, Sarah, Freddie talked about the unconditional love that the tree gives to the boy. Is it comforting for children during this time of global pandemic and God knows all the other things going on? Is it comforting for a child to hear a story about a parent who loves unconditionally? Is that a comforting thing?
2: It seems to me that the story of unconditional love here is not a very positive picture of unconditional love. There's a lot of other stories you could use where sort of unconditional love is somehow presented in a positive way as helping someone, whereas here, I mean, the love does help the boy get the things that he wants, but they don't give him what he really wants. He's not happy, right, ever. Nothing satisfies him. And the, the tree, you know, the unconditional love is just the vehicle for the tree's self-destruction. So I, I don't think this would be a uh, positive story of unconditional love.
0: No, and so maybe it's a story about boundaries. <laughs> you know, it's a story about yes, um, how it sure. is that we recognize each other's boundaries, establish our own boundaries, um, and maybe even to bring this to a close. I was one of my mom's groups on Facebook. You know, they were all getting riled about this book because there was this viral post. I don't know if you all saw this recently. It was a, a playwright, I believe, in Atlanta, who had shared alternate endings to The Giving Tree and also some of the other books that um, suggest that to give and give and give is is an an act of selfless love. And these alternate endings are are really about establishing and recognizing boundaries. And it's interesting to think that when we are in such close proximity, parent and child, um, how it is that we recognize and establish those boundaries.
2: I think it can get kids to really think about the whole notion of giving and what makes a gift all right to give and what's the nature of receiving. You know, is there a way of like taking that's not acceptable as, a, as opposed to a way of taking that is? I mean, Celeste sort of is, loses patience with the boy because he just takes and takes and takes and he's, he never says thanks. Right? There's no gratitude being expressed. So I think that's this whole notion of giving and taking and what's involved. I mean, it's an important one for kids because kids basically are taking a lot. And this is a way to get them to reflect about that, reflect on the limits of giving. The controversies
1: that are presented here give so many options for families and for um, groups to discuss. I think people take away what they need and actually each of the themes can be a discussion by themselves. I mean, how do you see this being a happy book? How do you see it being a sad book? Is there um, a part of the book that makes you think the boy was selfish or ill-mannered? And how would you change that? How do you see that? How you change it? So I think there's so many possibilities that one discussion would not work with this book. I think it's a book that should be repeated.
0: That's it for this edition of Little Voices, Big Ideas. I'm your host, Sarah DeBacher. Thank you so much, Helen, Tom, and Freddie. Our show is produced by Thomas Walsh. Theme music by Sam Galband. This program is brought to you by a grant from the National Endowment for the Humanities and Primetime Family Reading, a project of the Louisiana Endowment for the Humanities in collaboration with WWNO New Orleans.